Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup, wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. Talking about the artificial intelligence and bringing a lot of data together, it popped into my mind a question. What type of anthropometric data did you get as far as looking at uh, wrist circumference? And was it data that you got that was already out there, or did you basically do your measurements of your own users so that you could say, okay, females age 20 to age 50, this is basically the anthropometric for them versus males, um, you know, children, um, elderly. So did, did you use some of that data that was already out there with the anthro as far as the anthropometrics, or did you just use what you had for the people that actually were, were doing your user testing? That's a really interesting point because we did measure most of the data ourselves. Um, there wasn't really, we couldn't find much available um, online. And also if there was available data outside, it would be quite hard to get that to correlate to things that we observe. Because I think the individual differences are so great that even if, for example, two people have the same wrist circumference, that might not correlate to them performing similarly on our device. And the, based on the measurements that we took so we measured um, wrist circumference we measured we used a force gauge to measure basically the resistance of their skin at the carpal tunnel and we also measured their grip strength and we found that um, probably the well not necessarily grip strength we didn't have one of those I think it's a dynamometer that measures the grip strength we didn't have that equipment yeah. but we did have a um, force gauge and we measured basically how much their wrist moved when they clasped uh, when they put their hands into a fist like that. So 
that I think was the variable that had the most correlation to their performance on different springs. Um, but we still, it's still up in the air, sort of to speak to, to find what are the anthropometric characteristics that most relate to um, the spring constant. And that's an area that we still need to do further research on. That'll be a big research in and of itself because the anthropometric data out there, there's not a lot to begin with anyway. And the populations that have been chosen for that um, aren't necessarily going to reflect the population that would, would first start using the, um, the uh, I keep wanting to call it product, but it, right now it's an invention. And uh, you're, you're working, working towards it being a, a product, but with the prototype. Another point I want to bring up, and I didn't realize the type of testing that you did until you just said it, um, about you know checking the amount of force that the tendon pushes against the measuring device. And that's an excellent point, because when you start talking about people with spasticity, like people with cerebral palsy, the, the, the tension and the force on those tendons against the uh, force measurement device is probably going to be greater than the rest of us. And so that would be, that's something too, to, that you will probably look at later on when you start looking at specific populations of people that would be using the device. And so that, that actually, when you start looking at that, that's actually goes beyond anthropometric measurements as we know it as anthropometric measurements. So um, I'm doing a prediction here. I could see that the data you guys are going to come up with, if you use a population that has spasticity, you're going to create a whole new subfield of anthropometrics. Not to put you guys on the spot, but you probably are going to, uh, you'll, you will probably be the first because in, in my circles and, and, and looking around and what I do as far as a clinician, as well as doing research, as well as interviewing and just meeting people from around the world who are brilliant like yourself, that's not been discussed. So this, this could be something you guys could really, over time, could come up with some very interesting data that could also be applied to more than just manipulating a computer for um, whatever use that the, the person wants. So I think that's going to be a whole new subset of anthropometrics, which I think can eventually move forward to uh, just include those individuals into anthropometrics, which it's going to make future research easier because I think the data you're probably going to bring in is going to be, well, it'll be pioneering to say the least. So I encourage you, you know, get, get it all kind of the data that you can with regards to, you know, those pressures from, uh, spastic tendons uh, that could also lead to research in the long run too on using medications to decrease spasticity and your measuring and your anthropometrics could be helpful with that as well. So just throwing just throwing some things out there from a little different angle, but I'm I'm really excited about what you guys are already doing as far as to get the data for the artificial intelligence. The other thing that I wanted to ask with regards to the actual measurements themselves is when you take a look at your own measurements and then you were running it through the the AI, did you have any trouble with differentiating out males and females? Was Or was that just pretty easy when you just took a look at your users and you delineated them as male, female, and then you put them into the the AI from there? Or is it right now, is it all just homogenous material? 
that's a really interesting one. I don't believe we actually um, gave the AI any information about the gender of the participants. And I don't think we had, we noticed any difference in the measurement accuracies okay. between male and female. And we did collect that data. So it is possible that we could run the experiment again with that information. Um, and that's a very interesting point because I would assume that male and female, there are differences in how their um, muscles and tendons might be constructed. Um, yeah, it's definitely an area to to consider into the future. I think it's interesting, though, when you looked at your data to begin with, you didn't really notice much of a difference. And maybe there's not going to be much of a difference. You know, maybe what, we're, what we, we come up with assumptions on... Um, physiology might be inaccurate assumptions and as well as assumptions a lot of times turn into inaccurate things anyway so it's it's good that you know at least your preliminary data says well we don't notice any difference or age range you know maybe you look at age range and said there's no difference between a 25 year old and a 35 year old so again these anthropometrics and these measurements that you're getting could eventually start to like i said to become a whole subset of anthropometrics because you guys are really going down you guys are going down a road no one else is and so i think you the trailblazing that you're doing uh, could certainly open up and create even more data which i know you guys have your plate full already the last thing you want to do is start going off in five different directions because you'd like to finish this up probably before you're 40 years old too so <laughs> uh and, uh, and, and i always like to encourage people that are doing research like oh this would be good this would be like wait a minute jeff okay uh, they need to finish this before they're 40 years old because they'd like to you know move on with life and get into their career so uh, uh i just throw those things out there because it pops in my mind and I, my little mind moves off in that direction. But I, you know, it just, this is just a perfect example of when you finish research, you always see in the conclusion, how we would like to see further research being done on X, Y, and Z. And you guys have really opened the a door in a pioneering way for other people to step forward and go, okay, let's take a look at spastic tendons. Let's go and take a look at, can this be used with rheumatoid arthritis? What are the measurement differences in rheumatoid arthritic versus someone with a spastic paralysis? Which, you know, obviously you guys aren't looking at that because you're just, you're, you're, you're doing the groundbreaking work and then people can build off of that and go off into those different sectors. So I was just curious uh, about that uh, particular type of uh, data that you've already brought through. Currently, you are also working on your law degree uh, as well. So just for curiosity's sake, and the listeners would probably like to know, do you see tying in a law with these type of inventions that you're working on? Do you, do you see some connectedness in your own life to want to do this? Or do you say, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. This was fun. I did it as an undergrad. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to be a patent lawyer. I'm going to you know, do something else in law. Or do you see some, some interconnectedness with all of this? I certainly do see uh, connections between these because like you already mentioned, um, with research and inventions, there's a lot of issues surrounding patents and who gets to patent an invention like this. Um, I was actually asked in a job interview the other day, um, do we plan to uh, apply for some kind of intellectual property protection for, for this kind of device? And our answer was, um, that's not really what we would want to prioritize because we're not, um, as researchers, we want to um, make this available, these techniques available to a wider audience so that they can be um, used by people with disabilities and at, not at a huge cost. So that was one consideration. Um, I guess other ways in which the law intersects with this, um, I guess you could always connect the regulation of AI to, to um, products like this because you have corporations who might be having certain data privacy practices that might not be the most ethical 
and the regulation of the way that the, this data is collected and used is definitely an area that could um, that will be quite contentious into the future. Um, probably not with a device designed to um, detect your finger movements, but potentially there's always the risk there. Yeah, you're right, because, you know, how much, at least in the United States, we take a look at HIPAA and we have those, uh, we're, we're safeguarding people's medical information. So they're what we call PHI, protected health information. And so, you know, yeah, where do you draw the line? What's, what's protected health information? I mean, you have subject number 23, who you don't know their name, you don't know their gender, but, you know, this is the data we collected from their wrist. Well, is that is that really medical information? I mean, it, how much do we need to protect it? I mean, these are all arguable. So, uh, you know, that's why I was asking that question to you because you know somebody going into the legal field and and where does all that sit? And and you know, should we start looking at that now and and starting to say we need guidelines, we need regulations, we need laws so that we don't run into problems 5 years from now and back like, "Oh, why didn't we deal with that in, you know, in 2022? Why, you know, why are we have all these lawsuits and it's 2030?" So, yeah, then maybe that is something, you know, for you to look at. I don't know if you do you have a um a project you have to work on for law school? Maybe this would be it, you know, for you to uh do a project that uh for uh like a graduate project that you have to do. So, it you know, just just a thought, but I think you bring up a really good point that a lot of us are already asking ourselves because we're, you know, every day Every day we go into work, that's always on our mind is, you know, how do we protect our patients' privacy? And um, when at, at what point does this cross the line where it's like, oh, no, it's, it's no longer protected health information? Well, is it really? Should it still be protected health information? And some people are going to be a little skittish about, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to. If I want to test this prototype, I don't know if I want that information out there. If somebody gets a hold of that information, they're going to find out who I am. You know, and I can see people being concerned about that. You know, they're worried about the identity theft. For their credit cards, well, why not my, you know, risk my grip strength and these other biometrics that are mine? Do I want that out there? So, um, you know, again, another good topic for you, you know, to to take a look at at some point in your what you'll which will probably be a very nice uh, long legal career. So maybe uh, you'll you'll come back to that at some point in your in your legal life to to work on that. But I think these are all really very good topics to to take a look at even now for us to move in that direction. Um, and I'll just ask you now that at some point, once you do get your law degree, and if you start pursuing this, you know, please give me an email. Um, let's get you back on the show as a lawyer and, uh, you know, see where this is, where you're going to be going this, at least in Australia. But uh, it would be interesting to see where this all goes. I also want to ask you a question with regards to, we talked about spasticity, we talked about tendon movement. What about individuals that have very little tendon movement because they've had a stroke. So they've had paralysis and they're not getting in much return. So the tendon movement is very, very subtle. Is there just the sensitivity down even more to these type for these type of individuals? Or is this something like, well, we're still working out in the future on that? I think that's where the ability to customize the behavior of our springs comes in. Uh, because the way that we designed the springs uh, in the software is that they're basically all parameterized so that we can adjust the, for example, the diameter of the spring, we can adjust the height and the thickness of each layer of the coil. And what this does is that it allows us to achieve different stiffnesses of the spring. So with our user studies, we had three different spring constants. We basically had a soft spring, a medium spring, and a hard spring. And this meant that we could test these springs and work out, well, 
does the soft one achieve more sensitivity, for instance, or does the hard one have more resistance? And we found that they do behave differently. Um, and depending on the individual, some people performed better on the soft spring, some on the medium, some on the hard. And I believe that does show that, um, yes, we do need to tailor these springs to each individual personally based on their athropometrics and also on things like grip strength. And um, if they do have reduced movement in the tendons, then we could potentially increase the sensitivity. Potentially the soft spring would come in here. Um, and that I believe is something that we would need to look at further into the future with participants who have maybe suffered strokes or um, have that reduced tendon movement. I know it's nice to see that you've already, you've already looked at that and, and you have different types of springs to fit different types of patients or different types of people and uh, the injuries that they have. So I think that's fantastic. Well, we're down to our final question, and I ask this to all my very special guests. Where do you see this particular field that you're in right now of wearables, which, again, you guys are pioneering, okay? So where do you see this field five years from now? Well, I think with the Internet of Things just becoming so rapidly growing, um, wearables would just keep on becoming more integrated with like the broader ecosystem. So I think, well, right now I'm quite old school. I don't actually have a smartwatch, but I can foresee definitely in the next five years that it would just become so convenient that not having one would be kind of you'd put you at a disadvantage because like when you get on the bus and you pay, um, or I think there's these days cars, Teslas that you can probably unlock with a smartwatch or doors that you can unlock um, to get into your home. These are just going to be, um, yeah, it will just be a field that just keeps growing. And I guess more relevantly to our practice is perhaps the integration of wearables into health. So right now, um, there's fitness trackers that let you sort of analyze and view your data. But increasingly, I think the use of wearables for rehab, for um, treatment, as opposed to just diagnosis and observations, I think that's going to keep growing as well with um, the next five years. Um, yeah, it's just such a promising field. And it's something that is going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it's exciting to hear what's what's going on out there with the trailblazers like uh, you and your colleagues at the uh, University of Sydney. Well, Steve and I want to thank you again for, for taking the time out of your day to come and speak and uh, to let the world know what you and your colleagues are doing there at the University of Sydney. Because when I certainly read about it, I thought, got to have got to have him on there's this this is so trailblazing and there's so much potential for this that i got excited and said you know i have got to get him on and i have to say thank you for for responding and getting on relatively quickly so this is good so that i could uh, get this information out to the world because uh people may not see this out on the market for several years but if just they know that it's on its way and that the people out there are going to benefit very greatly. So once again, thank you. And to your associates too, please pass that along to them. Uh, my gratitude for all the work, the hard work that they're have done and are continuing to do to bring this whole, what I call innovation, uh, closer and closer to being out on the market where people can actually use it. And I think that that's, uh, it'll be a great day when it does get out there. So again, thank you very much and keep in touch. You know, you got anything else that's new and pioneering or something additional to what we're working on the bracelet that is even offering more than what it's already lined up to do um you know please let me know because i'd love to get you back on the podcast and let the world know what's going on certainly thank you jeff for giving me this opportunity it's been great and very fun to have this chat with you okay well it's 
ditto for me. And uh, I look forward to all that uh, you and your group are going to be doing in the near future. And uh, you take care. Thank you, Jeff. You too. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties. Pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.